Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Hi everybody, welcome to Wednesday night service. I'm so glad that you're here and be able to join us tonight. I really sincerely hope that this teaching is going to bless you, it's going to help you, it's going to cause you to rise up in the area of faith. We're talking about receiving from God. I've been dealing with this subject for the past uh, probably three or four Wednesday nights, and uh, tonight I want to wrap this up and kind of give you some points that you can take home, uh, some things that you can practically uh, apply to your lives on an everyday basis. Uh, I want to set the foundation, I want to set kind of the structure for, for where we're going with this, with this statement, only God has all the answer to every single need, whether that's a material need, whether that's a spiritual need. Everything you need comes from him. Everything I need comes from him. Every answer that we are searching for is in the word of God, and we need to understand that so it saves us time from trying to run around to talk to this person or that person or read this book or go to that seminar or attend this thing. Those are all good things, and we need those as supplements in our lives, but honestly, when it comes down to it, God is the source of all wisdom. Whatever comes from God must be received by faith. Our faith responds to the grace of God. We understand this. We know that's how we were born again. We received our salvation, which was provided to us by the grace of God, but we accessed it by releasing faith that developed in our hearts. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is taking God at his word, before we could see any physical evidence of the existence or the manifestation of what we've been praying for. So it's a spiritual force. It's a force that's, that brings us an assurance based on the promises of God and based on the track record of his faithfulness. To live by faith means that we believe God's word and we act like it is true. This is the area where so many of us miss it so many times, I, even in my own life, I've realized at times when I genuinely believed I was in faith, but I wasn't taking the corresponding actions. Sometimes I'll come to church on the weekend, or maybe even on a Wednesday night, and I'm battling something in my body, I'm battling some type of symptom or things of that nature. My first thought is, you know, let me get somebody else to do this tonight so I can stay home and rest, or I can take it easy, or, and then, then something rises up on the inside of me and says, no, no, I need to take a corresponding action. If I truly believe, that God is capable of giving me the strength and giving me the grace and releasing his presence and his Holy Spirit in my life to allow me to accomplish something that in the natural seems like it's impossible. If I don't take that step, that's not gonna manifest. And so many of you understand what I'm talking about because you've been in the same situation. We receive from God based on who he is, not on who we are. It is a system that's based on love it is conveyed to us by grace, and it is manifested, in other words, it's brought into reality by faith. I want to say that again. This faith is based on a system of love. It's conveyed to us by grace. In other words, we receive what we need from God because he is love, not because we have earned it, not because we've done good works, not because we've sacrificed something. It is based on the fact that he is love. It is conveyed to us. What does it mean conveyed? It is delivered to us by grace, and manifest that it's brought into reality by faith. Now we need to understand, and I know some of this might be reviewed from the past few Wednesdays, there is the God side of things and there is the man side of things. When we do our part, 
he always does his part, vice versa. When he relays to us his part, when he reveals to us what he's willing to do, when he reveals to us his promise to us, when we'll uh, cooperate with him and release faith, that's the man's side, then God is able to bring the God side to us. God's side is makes grace available. The man's side is that we believe it, we speak it, and we act on it. Look at it this way. Man brought sin into the world. God responds to the man's side. We brought sin into the world by sending Jesus to deal with sin. Jesus is the grace of God. Gospel of John, the first chapter, says that grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus then in turn represents the man's side. When he operated in faith, he did it as an example for the rest of us. When he received the the multiplication of the bread and, 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 and the fish, the loaves and the fish, and, and was able to feed those uh, over 5,000, some Bible commentators say up to 15,000 people, counting men, women, and children. He released his faith as an example for us to do the same. We act in faith because Jesus did it, and Jesus is in us. John chapter 14, verse 12 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. We understand that faith is a requirement. It's not an option. It's not an option for us to say, well, you know, I just, I'm going to kick back and go through life. And, you know, whatever happens, happens. You know, God is sovereign, and whatever God wants to do, he's going to do. Well, it doesn't work that way. God is a faith God. God is a God of love. He is love. And in his love, he has provided a system for you and I to be able to overcome the adversities that's in, that are in this life. And that system is faith. James chapter one, verse five, but if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all freely and reproaches not, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith, there's a requirement, nothing doubting, for he that doubts is like a wave of the sea driven by the wind, tossed about, person that, that doubts, a person that has no faith, they're just constantly moved by circumstances, they're constantly living, they live a life that's reactionary instead of responsive. We respond in faith. We react to circumstances, and that's not the will of God. Verse seven says, for let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. He or she is a double-minded person, unstable in all their ways. Again, Hebrews chapter 11, verse six this time. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he, God, is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are you diligently seeking him? Are we, corporately as a church, diligently seeking him? Are you individually or as the head of your household or as the uh, self-employed business person or the individual on your job that has all the responsibility? Are you diligently seeking God so that you can operate in wisdom? This is a promise that we have from him. Amen. Faith is a fight. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 says this. Fight the good fight of faith. Talked about in James being a diligent seeker. You just can't be passive about the things of God. You cannot just be just passive, just sit back and think that it's just going to fall out of heaven uh, uh, into our lives. It doesn't work that way. It's a fight. First Timothy 6.12, again, I'm going to re- repeat this. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Uh, Paul 
was a great example of a person who fought the good fight of faith. He stood in faith, he believed God, he trusted that what Jesus told him was gonna come to pass, and we saw the tremendous results you see in his life all throughout the book of Acts and the epistles. We see how God used this man in a very, very mighty way. Why? He was a diligent seeker of God, so that he tapped not only into the wisdom of God, but he operated in faith. By faith, you receive wisdom. We don't receive wisdom from God because we deserve it or because we earn it. It is by faith. Uh, Kenneth Hagin, the founder of the Bible school that I graduated from and so many here in leadership also graduated from, said this. I have sometimes heard folks say that they're going to fight the devil. I don't know why, because in the first place, they are no match for him. Secondly, Jesus has already defeated the devil for us. Jesus was our substitute. I have also heard folks say that they're going to fight sin. But I'm not going to fight sin. I'm going to preach the cure for sin. Jesus is the cure. The only fight that the believer is called upon to fight is the good fight of faith. And if there is a fight, then there must be enemies or hindrances to faith. If there were no enemies to fight, if there were no enemies to our faith, there would be no fight in it. So I want to talk to you, and I want to teach you for this next time that we have left here, for for this remaining time that we have left tonight. The enemies of our faith, they exist. Some of them are very subtle. However, they have become effective because even individuals who at one point in their life have been mighty pillars in the church, mighty uh, people of faith, and people that maybe you and I have gone to and asked them to pray for us and asked them to intercede for us and to kind of stand for us and trust in God, we've seen even some of those individuals stumble and fall and fall into doubt and unbelief. Number one, enemy of faith is ignorance of God's word. Our faith, your faith, can only go as far as our knowledge of God's will. You need to grab a hold of this truth. This is the number one enemy to our faith. If you don't know what God has promised, if you don't know what God is willing to do, if you don't know God's track record and what he has done in the past, either in the life of your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, the other church member, or you look in the word of God and you see what God has done in the past in, in the lives of different characters throughout the word of God, if you're not aware of that, how are you gonna trust him? Where is your faith gonna be based on? And so 1 John chapter 5 says, says it this way. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue, you see that continuing of faith, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that we, he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. What is this saying? This is saying this. You cannot have confidence in a God that you know nothing about. You cannot have confidence in his ability to, to bring you out of a serious challenge and serious problem or to help you fight off a major attack if you are not aware of his will. Our confidence is based on the revealed will of God. The will of God is revealed in the word of God. The word of God are the, uh, contains the promises of God. If, you, if you're content to just come to church on a Wednesday night, or you come on Saturday night, or you come on Sunday morning, or what I'm saying is if you're content to just come to church once a week, never pick up your Bible, never go research anything, never study the Word of God, never get into a devotional time which is you and God studying the Word of God, how are you going to have any faith developed past the initial faith that you displayed 
when you receive salvation. It's almost impossible because the confidence has to be based on revealed knowledge, information, and awareness of who God is, of what he's capable of, of what he's already said he's going to do about any particular situation that you're facing. Now, this is the confidence that we have. If we ask anything according to his will, you, you hear that, according to his will, he hears us. So if, if I'm asking something that's not according to his will, according to the scripture, I cannot have any confidence that he hears me. First of all, he's not gonna listen to a foolish prayer. He's not gonna listen to a prayer that is contrary to his will. He's not gonna give heed, he's not gonna, he's not gonna place any, any uh, reward. He's not going to answer something that is totally contrary to his will. It's not gonna happen. You can have no confidence in those things. In order for us to have confidence, we need to know what God's will is. In order for us to know what God's will is, we must become students of the word of God. At least to the point where if you're encountering a situation in your life, if you have a challenge that you're going through right now, then, then at least go and research the word of God and see what that says. What does it say? What does the word of God say about your particular situation? Are you facing an illness? Have you received devastating news from the doctor? Well, at least go and find out what God has said about healing. Is he willing to? Will he? How does it work? How does it trans, how does it, what's the transaction involved in you receiving your healing? Are you facing financial challenges? Are you, are you losing your home? Are you losing your car? Has your job been taken away from you? Is, what, what, are you what are you facing? Go find out what the word of God says as it pertains to finances. We know, generally speaking, that God's a good God. He's a God of, that he is love, and love always provides. Love, the action of love is revealed in generosity, in provision. But if you don't have specific promises, you just can't go by the general will. Well, I know God's gonna take care of me. Based on what? God says, put me in remembrance of my word. He wants to be reminded. He wants us to go and study. He wants us to go and find out what his will is. So ignorance is a number one enemy of faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You cannot say that you know God without knowing what God has promised. What is he willing to do? What pleases him? Also, what displeases him? Only then can you be sure that you're not trying to believe something that is contrary to God's will. You need to go find out what has he said about the situation that you're facing. Number two, enemy of faith, is failing to trust in and failing to ask in the name of Jesus. Jesus gave us the right to use his name. He gave us the right to use his name in order for us to take hold of the promises of God by faith. When you and I come to the Father, as Jesus told us that we're supposed to pray, said, you pray to the Father in my name. When we go to the Father to take hold of one of the promises that he's already revealed to us in the word, we don't go on our own strength. We don't go in our own, um, uh, our own merit. We are going in the name of Jesus. Now you and I have got to have faith in that name. In John chapter 14, Jesus said it this way. Remember, John chapter 14 is, is all that took place at the Last Supper. Jesus is teaching them the most important things they need to know before he leaves this earth. And whatever you ask in my name, verse 13, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I mean, what better promise? What, 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 what stronger promise can he possibly make to us? What is happening here? Going back to enemy number one, ignorance, he is telling us, he is informing us, look, 
This is how you do this. You go to the Father in my name so that when you receive the answer to that prayer, my Father in heaven is glorified because you came in faith. And he said, whatever you need, whatever, ask anything in my name, he said, I will do it. So there we have it. Now I can have confidence that whatever I need that's already been revealed to me as the will of God for my life, I can have confidence that I'm gonna be able to receive that. Why? Because Jesus said so. Let's look at John chapter 16. And in that day, verse 23, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. There it is again. Verse 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So he said, when you get an answer to prayer, my Father's gonna be glorified, but also when you get an answer to prayer, your joy is gonna be full. Why? Because an answer to prayer brings us joy, brings us contentment, releases us from fear, takes us out of danger. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Again, we're talking about in the name of Jesus, the power that we have in the name of Jesus, the right that we have to use that name. If you have no faith in the name of Jesus, that is an enemy to your faith. You need to know that when you use the name of Jesus, that that name has got to be respected in heaven and earth and under the earth. That's according to the word of God. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes, there's faith, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these these signs shall follow those who believe. Here it is. In my name, in whose name? In the name of Jesus. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Every time we lay hands on the sick, we say, in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. Why? Because we're not laying hands on people. We're not placing our hands on individuals to pray in our strength in the hope that some power is gonna come from within us. We do it in obedience. And many times, if you've come up for prayer, you might remember this, that I will say something like this. Father, in obedience to your word, you told us, Jesus, that before you left this earth, you gave instruction to the church that we are to lay our hands on the sick, and you said that they would recover. In the name of Jesus Christ, I'm in obedience to that word, to that command, and therefore, we expect full recovery for this individual. We have power that remains untapped, It is accessed by using the name of Jesus. It is not a magical incantation, but a release of power that comes in prayer and or commanding, commanding prayer. It is saying, if Jesus were here, this is how he would pray or command, so I'm saying it in his place. That takes faith. Faith in who he is. Faith in his name. Faith in all that he accomplished and faith in who he says, I am. And who are we? We are servants of God but we're servants of God. We go on his behalf. We are representatives, like, like ambassadors sent to this earth to, in the name of Jesus, on his behalf. And on his behalf, that's how we release the power of God into someone else's life. So number one enemy of faith is ignorance of the word of God, ignorance of knowledge of God. Number two, it's not having faith or not trusting it or not having any confidence and not, not knowing about the name of Jesus and un- being unwilling to use that name. Number three, enemy of faith, is doubt and hardness of heart. Yeah, doubt can creep in to any of us. If we, if, we, if we get out of the habit and get out of the lifestyle of seeking God diligently, as it says in Hebrews 11, we can start having doubts creep in. Hardness of heart comes in. Mark chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus speaking. 
For as surely I say to you, that whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and here, here's the qualifier, and does not doubt in his heart, remember there's a man's side, there's a God's side, he does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. He, you, me. Jesus promised that when we speak in faith, when we speak what God has said about the situation and make sure that we have removed all doubt from our hearts, he said we will have whatsoever we say. Did, did, you, did you catch that? He said you'll have what you say when you say what I said about that situation. It's important for us to line our words up with him. Jesus made it very clear, though, through this scripture, Mark chapter 11, verse 23, that we cannot have doubt. We cannot have doubt operating in our lives and still walk in faith. Later on, uh, it says in Mark chapter 16, verse 14, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. This is after he rose from the dead because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, what happened here? These disciples, although they weren't there in person to see the crucifixion, they saw Jesus be arrested. They saw him possibly were there during his, his suffering and, and, and when the Romans were, were torturing him and, and, and whipping him and ripping open his back. And, and of course, this caused great disappointment in them and great grief in their hearts. And, and now fear has come upon them because now their, their master, their, their Lord, the one that they've lived with and, 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 and served with all these three and a half years, they've now seen him. Uh, he's dead. He's been in the tomb. And so this was so, it was so disappointing to them. There was so much fear that came upon them that it may have caused their hearts to become hardened to this spectacular idea that he could possibly raise from the dead. Now, even though they had seen Lazarus raised from the dead, does something happen here that just took the wind out of them, just knocked the life out of them, and they've gotten into fear? How do we know they're in fear? Because the Bible tells us they're hiding from, from the Jews. They're hiding from the religious leaders because they thought they're gonna come for us next. So fear and disappointment may have caused their hearts to be hardened to the idea that someone could rise from the dead. Nevertheless, Jesus expected them to have faith in what he had already told them. He had already told them, I will rise on the third day. He expected that the fact that they were with him for all that time, they saw the miracles, they saw Lazarus uh, raised from the dead, they saw uh, the blind eyes open, the deaf ears open, they saw the lame walk, they saw the lepers be cleansed, they saw the bread multiply, they saw the storm be calm, they saw all these miraculous things. Jesus expected that to be enough to carry them through this hard time, to carry them through this, this catastrophe. How could this happen? The one that, that, that spoke to the wind and the waves and, and, the, and the storm calmed, how could he let this happen to him? It was devastating. I'm sure we've had situations in our own lives that devastation just hits us. Something out of left field just comes and it just knocks the wind out of us and it literally causes us to start questioning what we thought we believed in God. And so if we're not careful, doubt will try to creep in there. And so that Easter Sunday night, he appears to them. And he says, he rebuked them. He wasn't like, oh, gee, I understand, you know, you've been through a lot. He expected them to maintain their faith. And you and I are expected to maintain our faith. We are to hold fast to the confession of faith that we've made. 
God's given us enough evidence. He's given us his word. He's worked miracles in our lives. He's taken us from death to life. That should be enough for us to hold on to. However, the fact of life is sometimes doubt tries to creep in. Sometimes hardness of heart might come in through maybe unforgiveness or or things of this nature, grudges being held. And we end up becoming weakened in our faith instead of strengthened in our faith. He expected them to have faith. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him when he had risen. They, They should have been speaking what Jesus had told them instead of speaking doubt and unbelief. Now, that same night, in John chapter 20, verse 24, now Thomas, called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see his hands, in his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. What is he saying? I don't believe you guys. I don't believe what he said. I want physical evidence. That is the one thing that we know that Thomas was operating completely in hardness of heart and in doubt and unbelief, in unbelief. In other words, unbelief is somebody that you believed at one time now because of a decision based on circumstances. You have chosen not to believe. And that's a dangerous place to be. Thomas answered, when Jesus comes on the scene, after eight days, in verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. This is a week later. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Same thing he had spoken to them the week before on that first Easter Sunday night. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. This is an amazing statement here. Jesus says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. So in other words, then Jesus is saying to Thomas, you have a choice. You have chosen, unfortunately, to not believe. But you have a choice. I've given you the evidence that you need. I have presented myself to you. I spoke to you plenty of times and told you, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to go to the cross. But three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And and Thomas decided he was not going to believe. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Now look look at this next statement here because this extends down to us. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. That blessing comes down to you and I. There are very few people on this earth that have seen Jesus face to face today in this present age. We are expected to believe because of the scriptures that have been handed down to us from generation to generation. We are expected to believe because we know on the inside when the Holy Spirit has touched our hearts, when the Holy Spirit has revealed to us who Jesus is, the the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We are expected to believe. We are expected by faith to receive the promises of God without having to put our finger in in his nail prints and without having to put our hand in his side. We receive the results of faith when we speak what God says about it and take accompanying actions, our words and deeds must agree with the promise. I pray that what I've shared with you tonight is practical enough for you and I to go out and begin to start practicing these things and putting them into, into, just putting them into practice on a daily basis. Understand that we have enemies of our faith. We have an enemy who does not want human beings, does not want mankind 
operating in faith, knowing that when man operates in faith, we access the grace of God into our lives and to the lives of those around us. We understand ignorance is a terrible, terrible enemy to our ability to have confidence in God. We understand that we need to step out in faith and use the tools that have been given us. And that tool I'm referring to is the name of Jesus. There's so much power in that name. We need to have faith in that name, trust in that name, and trust in our ability that when we speak that name, that things are gonna change. And we need to be careful, be very aware that we don't allow doubt and unbelief to creep back into our lives and to cause the faith that we did have to be neutralized and shut down. If that's happened to us, I pray that tonight you'll make a move, that you maybe come up for prayer and ask individuals here to pray with you, to get that faith kick-started again in your life. Go back and start reading the Word of God. Go back and start rehearsing the track record that God has, has, has created in your life. Think about the things that he's done for you in the past. Think about when he first took you out of darkness and took you into this kingdom of light, the kingdom of his dear son. Think about the things that he's done for you. Think about the peace that he's brought into your life in times of disaster and challenge and cause faith to rise up again in your hearts. I pray that this has been a blessing to you tonight. And I just bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that your faith will rise up to the place to meet every challenge that ever comes across your life. God bless you, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.